If you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20 will be taking our text from. And we're also going to be looking at Exodus chapter 32. If you want to go ahead and get your spot there, put one finger in Exodus 32 and uh, keep Exodus 20 open. As we'll be reading text from both chapters. But we're going to begin here with Exodus chapter 20, looking at verse 22 through 26 to begin with. Exodus 20 and 22. And here the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, and thy peace offerings, thy sheep, and thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of a hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. Alright, now turn over to Exodus chapter 32. I want us to look at uh, some passages there. The first 19 verses of Exodus 32. The Bible says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early in the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it. And have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thou wrath Wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt, with a great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides, on the one side, and on the other were they written. 
and the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands, and brake them beneath the mount. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word this morning. We are praying now that you help us be able to preach the best that we possibly can, Lord, only by your guidance, by the Holy Spirit's leadership, God, that we'll be able to do anything any good today. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, these are some uh, very uh, uh, <laughs> eye-opening text here we've read this morning. Now, as we saw there in, in Exodus 20, that was right after that God had given the Ten Commandments. And then Moses had went from that point and went down and gave the law to the people. Uh, they agreed to the law and said they would follow the law and that they would worship the Lord God, Jehovah, and none else. And that was, of course, one of the commandments, I shall have no other gods before me. And they all agreed to that. And here, just about 40 days have passed. When we get over to Exodus chapter 32, about 40 days had passed from the time they agreed to it to the time that they were already wanting to disobey the law. And so the Lord is placing great emphasis on how the children of Israel were to conduct themselves, especially in worship. Now, I've titled the message today, The Church of the Golden Calf. And we're going to look at some of the things that these people did back in that day and how they compare or resemble some of the things that's going on in the New Testament churches of today. Right here in Knoxville, Tennessee, you're going to find a comparison of what's going on in churches to what they were doing in that day of idolatry. And so the Lord, as I mentioned, he places great emphasis on how to worship. And uh, he talks about having no other gods before him. There in Exodus 20 and verses 3 through 5, he said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And so we see that there is a command from God right there. You're not to worship any other God. You're not to make any kind of idols like that. And he mentioned silver and gold and all these things. You're not to do this. And he commanded them that. And they said, okay, we won't do that. And there, down in verse 23, he told them not to make gods of silver and gold. In verse 26, he cautioned them about not showing their nakedness uh, when they come before the altar to pray for him. This was all concerning the Lord's commandment for appropriate worship. Appropriate ways to be in front of the Lord. God said, this is how I want you to be in front of me. I don't want to see your nakedness. I don't want you to come in here with any kind of thoughts of, of foreign gods or idols or anything like that on your mind. It's just between me and you. God is a jealous God. The Bible tells us this. Now, when we hear that word jealous, we think of that being something bad. You know, God is a real jealous person. No, what that means is that God commands 
strip things from us. He expects it. If we say we belong to Him, if we've accepted Him as our Savior, He expects us to be obedient and loyal to Him. And when we're not, uh, it angers Him. Well, while I realize that Exodus, of course, is a Jewish book, written by a Jewish man, and the children of Israel, is it's directed toward them. But just like with anything in the Bible, it is put in there for our good, for our help. Uh, the Bible says that God does not change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And if that's the case, I believe that His standards for worship and what He expects out of His people remains the same. Now, we're not bound by Jewish laws and covenants and uh, dietary things and such as that. But there are certain commands that God gives in the Word of God that's not necessarily specifically under the Jewish law or the Levitical law, but it's God's holy standards. Thou shalt not kill. That's not a Jewish law. Sure, it was given to the Jews. But listen, that is God's holy commandment. Not to take the life of someone needlessly. That's murder. And so there's many things that God gives us in those Ten Commandments and in what He gave the children of Israel that are not just Levitical laws, but God's holy standards. And I believe worship is one of those. And so we can apply these thoughts here that we find in the book of Exodus to what we have today. Now, over there in Exodus 32, where we read from secondly, uh, it says in, in verse 1, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. He's been gone 40 days. He's been gone that long before. He's been gone 40 days, and now they're just falling apart. You see, what's going on here is they are their flesh is driving them. They're thinking about what they used to do in Egypt. Now, back in Egypt, of course, the Egyptians are pagans. They worshipped all manner of things. They did all kinds of disgusting things. They worshipped. They had services. They were very religious in Egypt. They just didn't have a religion of the Lord God Jehovah. And so their religious practices were passed on to the children of Israel who were also observing them. They observed those gods that they had mounted all over the place, made out of gold and things in silver and all that. They saw Apis, the bull that they worshipped in Egypt. And so they were longing for those. Remember on their journey going in there, out of bondage. They were talking about the leeks and the garlics. Oh, that we would go back. Oh, that we're going to die out here. He's led us out here to die. We'd be better off back in bondage. Their flesh kept pulling them back to that pagan world. Even though they were separated unto God. They were God's children. But yet their flesh kept on wanting to draw them back. It is so soon that they've forgotten what God said and what Moses, their leader, only been gone 40 days and 40 nights, and despite that fact, he's led them out of, out of slavery, but yet they've completely forgot about that, or they don't care about that anymore. You know, a lot of people are like that. They want something from you, and once they get it, they could care less about you. As for this Moses, we want not. This man, you know, that's for him. Act like he's just somebody, you know, that was filling a, a role for a while, and we get rid of him. We need somebody else now in charge. He's been gone too long. And that's the way the world thinks. The world is so fickle. Uh, people today will just flip-flop from one day to the next on what they think or what they believe or what they say they believe. Most people don't really believe in anything. 
They just follow the crowd. And so these people, now they're out there in the, in the wilderness. They're, they're sitting around. They're thinking about all the, the meats and the dancing and the nakedness and the, the sexual perversion that went on in Egypt. And they want it. And not only do they want it, but they want to include it in their worship to God. They want to pretend that's what they're doing. Well, we'll just incorporate this into our worship with, of God, and it'll be okay. And so, listen, Moses had, had helped these people. He had cried over these people. He had interceded for these people. He had done so much for them, but they're ready to write him off. And they demand Aaron, Moses' brother, their high priest, <laughs> He's been left in charge to take care of the people while Moses was gone, and Joshua's not there either at the time. He's up waiting halfway down the mountain, waiting on Moses. He's been gone for 40 days too. And so these are the two strongest leaders in all the camp. And so Aaron is not that strong of a leader. He is willing and able to bend. And they say to him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. They're, they're asking a man to make them gods. And just like that, they turn their back on the Lord God Jehovah and they're willing and ready to run after a strange false god. Verse 2, Exodus 32. Or 30, yeah, 32. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. Now, we aren't sure exactly what Aaron's thinking when he tells people to do this. Whether he thought if he told them to give up their precious gold that maybe they would change their mind or or uh, whatever, or if he's just given in to them because of pressure. I'm sure it was a lot of pressure. I mean, there's like a million folks out there demanding that, you know, oh, make scuds, you know, they're all out there, and he's the man. He's the guy in charge at the time. So he's under pressure. Either way, it doesn't matter. What he did was wrong. It was a sin. It was a sin against God. And uh, we know this because when Moses retells the story in Deuteronomy 9 and 20, he says, And the Lord was very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. So God was ready to destroy Aaron because of this sin right here. Now, also notice that Aaron commanded for the wives, sons, and daughters to break off their golden earrings. He never mentioned husbands or fathers. And uh, by the way, this don't mean that God endorses for men or males to wear earrings just because it says the sons were wearing them. Remember, these people were so depraved, they're willing to worship a, a golden calf. And so there's no telling what they're allowing in their lives. God's not pleased with men dressing like women. I'll just tell you that. It's from the Bible. And uh, there's a lot of this going on in churches today. And that's why a lot of churches are so weak today. Spineless, have no backbone, and will allow anything... Uh, to come. All right, verse 3. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. And he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now, not only are they going to worship a false idol, but they're going to give their false idol credit for leading them out of Egypt's bondage. They just said, this man Moses who led us out. Now they're saying, no, it's this, this God that we just built, this golden calf. He's the one that's getting the credit. We're going to worship him. He did, he, he did it. He's our God now. I'll tell you what, you know, this, this golden calf they made. Now, 
A lot of times we think of a pure solid gold completely inside and out. Most likely Aaron had fashioned a, a wooden structure and then plated it with the gold that they melted down from the earrings. I don't believe there was enough gold there for, to make a pure gold calf. And as we're going to look at probably next Sunday because we won't have time today, when Moses crushes it up and melts it down and makes them drink it, that, that would have been a lot of, lot of gold. <laughs> and so I believe it was probably wooden on the inside and gold plated on the outside. Uh, it's, it's really hard to, to tell. But they're making this image into a calf. Now, why would they do that? Well, the gods in Egypt were cows. A lot of them were cows. Uh, Baal, the symbol for Baal, it looks like a, a bull. And so um, that's what they're, they're looking at. They're looking at one of these types of gods. They're not looking to worship the Lord God Jehovah. They're going to claim they are, but they are not. And so the bull is chosen because it symbolizes one thing, uh, courage, uh, much like a lion. A lion is a symbol of courage. So is a bull. It, it represents strong and uh, fertility and all these things. Um, it's, it's closely linked to kingship. And so this is another reason they would have chosen an animal such as a calf for a bull. And not only did the Egyptians worship bulls, but so did the Phoenicians and the Canaanites. All these pagan people all around them worshiped these types of things. And so the children of Israel had been influenced by the culture around them. Now, you look at the people that you're around. You're influenced by whoever you're around. Whether you want to be or whether you think you are or not, you get influenced by whoever you hang out with or you're around the most. Uh, you can, I, I know people that will go around a certain group of friends and when they come back from them, they're talking just like them. They, even their dialect or their, their accent sounds like the friends that they were with. If their friends were from the north and, and this person's from the south, they begin speaking like a northern when they get around them. It's, it's the way it happens. The culture starts uh, infiltrating you. You start, uh, it, it affects you. And so the culture that the children of Israel have been in has affected them, and uh, it's influenced their culture and their way of thinking and their thoughts about worship. Well, the, the children or the people in Egypt, you remember how they worship? I mean, that was some worship right there. Yeah. And so the Bible tells us, though, that we're to come out from among them and be holy. God said, I'm holy, therefore ye be holy. Come out from among them and be holy. And... Um, he also tells us not to love the world or the things of the world. And so we are not to be like the culture around us. The culture around us says that aborting a baby is okay. That's not what God says. And so we can't allow that culture to influence our way of thinking. And suddenly start thinking, well, you know, everybody does it. And it's, it's, a, it's on the laws. I mean, it's a law. The Supreme Court passed the law. It's okay. Or sodomite marriages. Just because you know somebody that's a sodomite that's got married to another one, don't mean it's okay. But yet it's influencing people. Uh, there are people that are that go to church that say they're Christians, and they are okay with same-sex marriage. And they get mad if a pastor mentions it behind the pulpit that it's wrong. They get livid because they're best friends that way. 
or so-and-so's that way, or their brother's that way, or their sister. And so they've allowed the influences of the sinful culture to influence them. And uh, it's, it's wrong. That's what's happened to the children of Israel. Verse 5 in Exodus 32, And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. The Lord. The Jehovah. That's what that word right there translates to. So he's claiming that he's building this altar before a golden calf and he's dedicating it to the Lord God Jehovah. Hmm. Just when you think things couldn't get any, any worse, Aaron sees how the golden calf has pleased all these people. Oh, it's made them happy. And so he's now going to incorporate worship of God into this pagan idol. And so he actually builds an altar there in front of the golden calf and made it part of the service. And we read this and think, oh my goodness, how in the world did that happen? How would they ever have allowed that? They know better than that. May I say to you this morning, they're right here in Knox County. There are churches that are allowing idols in their church and they are worshiping and making it part of their worship service. And I can stand up here and name things one right after the other. It may not be a golden calf, but it's something that's replaced God. It's something they think is uh, incorporated, that they've incorporated into their service as supposedly worshiping God, but it's not. It's something they substituted for God, something that draws their flesh, their flesh desires it. They like it, and so they're going to put it in the service and claim it's for God and worship that way. And my friend, anything you place between you and God is your idol. And God will not accept that. We can make music an idol. There's, this is one of my, you know, I talk about pet peeves quite a bit. And I have more pet peeves than the average person. And I like to tell you about them. One of my pet peeves is to go somewhere, go to a service, and all they got singing. Now, I've been in some services where the Holy Spirit is, is moving within a, a music service, and uh, really the, the message has been brought out in the songs, and uh, people's gotten help, and I'm okay with that occasionally. But to go to a church service, and everybody gets all worked up over the music and the singing, and the first thing they want to say, what a service, there was no preaching. No preaching. Boy, we had a service. You did not have a service if you didn't have the preaching. If somebody didn't get up and open the Word of God and pronounce what God said, you did not have a service unto God. And you may have had a good time. And most of the times when people get caught up in that kind of thing, it is not worshiping God. It's a flesh show. People get excited in their flesh. You could get the Oak Ridge boys up on the stage and they could start singing Elvira and you can get chills up and down your back. And next thing you know, you're up on your feet and you're feeling good. And boy, next thing you know, boy, that's just something else. That's what's going on today. Some of these churches allowing some of the most ungodly things into their church and claiming it to be holy and, and to God. But we can make music an idol. We can make traditions an idol. And I'm a traditionalist. I love tradition. But you can make that your idol. If you if if your your black suit, white shirt, and red tie becomes your idol, then that's not as any good either. And uh, so, listen, 
We can spend more time worrying about a bunch of junk that don't matter and get our eyes off of what's true and what we need to be doing for the Lord and get distracted. God's not pleased with that worship. He's not in that. He's not in that. Verse 6, And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to, to play? Where do you find in the Bible where part of the worship service is to play? You don't find that. God doesn't say, come down and worship me and play while you're here. You know what this word play means, don't you? They'd gotten drunk. That's what all this was about. They, when they ate and they drank, they drank strong drink. They got drunk. Then they got up and they danced. And they took their clothes off. That's what this is implying right here. They rose up to play. It was a sexually perverted time of debauchery. And so they're using the golden calf in the worship service. And you see how bad it's getting. Not only are they worshiping the golden calf, they're eating, drinking, getting drunk, taking their clothes off, dancing around naked. How do we know it? Look at down in verse 25. When Moses saw the people were naked. For Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies. So the people were down there naked in the worship service. Bound down to their golden calf, eating, drinking, playing in the nude. Ray Stevens should have been there. Look at that, look at that. And so, listen, this is, this is bad stuff. Uh, they weren't playing Monopoly when they were playing. They weren't playing checkers. They were engaged in lustful sexual immorality. And they were mimicking the orgies that took place in Egypt. That's what they did in Egypt. Uh, these heathen nations, they engaged in all kinds of things like that when they worshipped their false gods. And so you see how quickly the children of Israel have went from being the children of God to the children of the devil. That's, that's what this is. This is not God worship. This is Satan worship. They may not call it that. And some of these churches today aren't calling that that. But that's exactly what it is. If it's not worshiping God, it's worshiping Satan and self. A lot of people worship their self. They think church is about some kind of feeling they get, some euphoria, some kind of, and they, they call it, there's no spirit here. They say there's no spirit. Nobody got up and danced and, and all this stuff. Nobody got excited and ran around and, and jumped in the baptistry and all this stuff. And that goes on some places and it's nothing but flesh. It's not the Spirit. You don't find that in the Bible. When people are filled with the Spirit in the Bible, they're not doing that. They are not rolling down on the ground and, and slobbering and foaming at the mouth and things. That's not worshiping God. That's worshiping the devil. That's somebody that's possessed. When you see that kind of behavior in the Bible, it's somebody that's possessed by devils. And so you see these people slain in the Spirit. No, they're slain by the devils what they're doing. They're not slain by the Spirit of God. And so, listen, I want to say something from the pulpit here at our church. We don't have a problem with any of this stuff right now. But the first time you allow the, the smallest little thing in that don't belong, that's when it starts growing. And before you know it, you're allowing other things. And then other things. Well, we let that in. Let's let this in. And before you know it, you've let everything in. Anything goes in the church. That's happened to a lot of good churches. They're no longer good churches. I know churches. I used to go to some churches. Good churches. 
I wouldn't step my foot in those places now. They've allowed anything to go on. And so they're worshiping the devil here. They threw all their, their morals out the window. They've allowed themselves to be ruled by their own lust and they've incorporated into the so-called worship service. Uh, listen, the children of Israel, not only had they done all this, but they've also changed the way that they sang. Did you notice that Joshua thought they were at war? Look at verse 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's noise of war in the camp. What did Moses tell him though? He said, it's not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that do sing do I hear. They were singing something else besides what they normally sang. And it wasn't good. I don't know what they were singing, but Moses says, hold on a minute, Joshua. They're not at war. They're down there, a bunch of naked people running around drunk, and they're singing. You know how you see sometimes on television shows, remember Otis on, on uh, Andy Griffith? They walk around, you know, like that. And you see people like this, and, and they're, you know, drinking, how bright I am. Here we got the children of Israel out there in the middle of the wilderness, and they are supposedly worshiping God, but they're drunk, naked, and singing some type of, of noise. He, that's what he called it, noise. The noise of them that sing do I hear. Verse 19, it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh to the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. God had already told Moses what was going on. He said, up oh, your people. God didn't say my people. He said, your people have, have done this to themselves. What does it say? Let's look at it. Uh, Exodus 32. Let me get back there real quick. Verse 7 of Exodus 32. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Thy people. He didn't say my people. I thought they were his people. They're not right now. They're Moses' people. They're fleshly people. They're carnal people. And look, Moses sees all this going on even though God's already warned him and told him what's going on, it enrages him. I mean, he is completely livid over what's going on. In fact, he takes those very tablets of stone that God with his own finger, the Bible says with his own finger, wrote those commandments in those stones, and he throws them down and breaks them. You know what that's a symbol of? The broken commandments. What are they doing while he's gone? They're breaking the commandments. They're breaking God's law. So that symbol of the tablets being thrown down and broken is a symbol of the children of Israel breaking God's commandments. And we don't see that God ever rebuked him for doing that is, is either. And so he is so mad, and some people think that it was wrong of him to do this, but God doesn't rebuke him. Uh, but Moses' anger is a righteous anger. It's a good anger. Uh, you know, the Lord also has righteous anger. 
Remember when the Lord Jesus went there into the temple and they were exchanging things in, in his house and he ran them out of there. Turned the tables over and whipped them with cords. Run them out and said, get out of here! My father's house, you're making it a house of merchandise. It's a house of prayer. What in the world's going on in here? He is a righteous anger. So Moses, he's so sick of the sight. The children of Israel, he's, he's brought out of bondage, these people. He's washed over them. He's cried over them. He's prayed over them. He's interceded to God over them. And there they are. He comes down. They're singing, dancing naked in front of a hellish idol built to a pagan god. What a sight that must have been to Moses. Listen, may I say to you that most churches begin to crumble when they begin allowing foreign music into God's worship service. And when I say foreign music, I'm not talking about Chinese music or Japanese music. I'm talking about music that's foreign to religious music or godly music. That's, that's going to include so-called Christian rock. There's no such thing. You've got rock or you've got Christian. You don't have Christian rock. God, is, God cannot be pleased with the worldly way they present that type of music. Oh, but Brother Byron, they got some good words in there. Really? Can you tell me what they're saying? I've heard some of this stuff. I can't even tell what they're saying most of the time. And if I can, they're singing the same seven words over and over and over. But anyway, I'll get off that subject here in a minute. But that's how churches, that's where it starts usually is the music program. They've got to have a worship team come in. Whatever happened to an old-fashioned choir leader? Old-fashioned song leader? I like Tyson at uh, my wife's church when she grew up. We went there when we were first married, and he would just get up and just let it rip I mean, he just opened up a hymn book and, and let it go. Sing the top of your lungs. And boy, that was some good singing. Good services. There's nothing wrong with that. Nowadays, they think they've got to be professionals. We've got to be on TV. We've got to have makeup. We've got to have all these instruments and all this technology and all these things so that we, we sound perfect. And it sounds like a recording when they get up there. They're so good. They've got it down so pat. So good and down pat. Listen, that, none of that stuff is, is real. It's staged. Worship isn't staged. You can't stage a time to worship God. You can have a set apart of time to, for a worship service. But as far as true worship, you can't stage that. So listen. Uh, you know, people today, they're saying stuff like, well, now, Brother Byron, you just, uh, you need to get with the times. You know, my kids, that's why they're in church, you know, because they like that, that kind of music. They won't come where they're somewhere where they open hymn books and stuff like that. What do you mean they won't come? You mean you won't take them? You're allowing them to stay at home? If you've got kids in your home and you're saying they won't go to a church because of the music, it's because you're not making them go. Pull them up out of their seat, put them in the car and take them to church and say this is where we're going. They're singing hymns. They're singing songs to the Lord and about God and about the Lord Jesus. Not some grungy looking guy in a pair of tight britches and long hair standing up there with a guitar acting like he's a, a guitar rock hero. That's what you find in a lot of churches today. People stand around looking out, doing this right here. Yeah. What's that? Some long haired, stringy looking, nasty thing standing up on a stage acting like he's, I don't know, the reincarnation of Elvis, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, Brother Byron, they got a praise team over at this church over here. We're going to start going over there. Well, you go on over there. 
you go on over there. We're not going to have anything like that here. And uh, when you see all this, the, it starts with the music. It starts tearing down the service. And old people, I'm an old person now. I turned 55 just one week or so ago. And now I know I can get a discount. Where, where was I going to get a discount? It's on the door. 55 and over gets a discount at the Goodwill. So I'm going to start going there and getting me a discount because I'm 55. But old people don't want to hear that garbage either. And so they'll quit coming to church. Old people are the ones that sustain the church. Young people don't. Most young people don't tithe. They don't give. They don't do anything. They take. They don't, they are not givers. They don't sustain the church. All the old people is going to leave because they know that it's not the thing that God expects out of his church. And so, <laughs> I know there's some people right now that if they hear me, they're, they're going to be so mad at me. Oh, he don't understand nothing. I know this place down there where they've got 300 young people. Well, good for them. They're all in there dancing and, and uh, bebopping and whatever they're doing in there, but it's, it's far from the things of God. And so if church is allowing music to come in, you can't tell apart from a rock concert or a, even a honky-tonk. A lot of them have, uh, sounds like country music playing now. And churches, they, they're dressing a lot like the children of Israel were. They were naked. You know, wear whatever you want. Come as you are. <laughs> you know, don't come as you are if you got a towel on. Don't come as you are if you ain't got no clothes on. Put some clothes on before you come into the house of God. These people were naked. And uh, a lot of people today, you could say they're plumb naked and they come to church. There's no dress code. I'm not saying we have a dress code. We do believe that you ought to dress conservatively. You ought to have your body covered up. God said, I don't want to see your nakedness when you go up the steps. I don't want to see it. Hide it. That's what he said. Uh, Exodus 20, 26. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. He's referring to the priest as they go up the steps of the altar that the legs, the back part of their legs aren't showing. They can't. You can't see... Up the robe. He don't want. He don't want that. And uh, so look, the ambiance there, with all the things that was going on in churches today, it's about the ambiance. Well, what's the atmosphere like at that church? You know, if they got all those old bright lights and those stained glass windows and and all and those hymn books and those pews, those awful pews. Go on marketplace right now, and you'll find church pews for sale. All over the place. We don't want those old-fashioned church pews. We can't stand it. We're either going to stand the whole service or we're going to get some of those comfortable stadium seatings or something. We can't stand all that. And so they're getting rid of them. Uh, don't want it to resemble a church. We want it to look more like what people like to go. We look like they're going to a movie theater. They're like they're going to a place like that. You know, so they'd be comfortable. If you're comfortable in church, there's, there's a problem. Y'all not be comfortable. Well, physical comfort is one thing, but I'm talking about mental comfort, spiritual comfort. If you're comforted spiritually in a place, if God's not stepping on your toes and, and, and stabbing at your heart, then there's a problem. But listen, the house of God should not be a reflection of the world or the culture of the world. It ought to be completely different. It is the pillar and the ground of truth, the Bible says. And so, 
The world doesn't need, and Pastor Sexton used to say this all the time, the world doesn't need an imitation of itself. The world needs something different. The church is something different. It's not a honky-tonk. It's not a nightclub. It's not a movie theater. Paul writing to Timothy said this in 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. In Ephesians 5 and 25, the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The church is the most holy, sacred, sanctified, reverent institution on the face of this earth, earth and soon to be in heaven. That's what the church is. It's not a place to gather and worship idols of this world or to pretend that you're honoring the Lord Jesus through some substitute. A lot of churches are substituting things for the Lord, whether it be their, their traditions or their desires or their music or, or the way they dress or undress or whatever it is they're doing. They're, they're substituting godly things for worldly things. And we don't have time to get into the rest of this today there in, in uh, Exodus 32. Uh, we'll save that for next Sunday, Lord willing, where we see that God doesn't allow it to go unpunished. He is going to reprieve them. He's not going to destroy them. Moses intercedes on their behalf yet again. And we're going to talk about that, about where the Bible says that he God repented. And we're going to see exactly what that means, and it's not what a lot of people think it means. And exactly what was going on uh, when God gave Moses... Uh, the ability to intercede for the children of Israel. And we'll look at that next time, Lord willing. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the message today. Lord, I thank you for showing us these things out of your precious word. Lord, and warning us, uh, God, that you're not pleased with this worldly way of worship. It's not what you want. It's not what you desire. It's not what you commanded. But God, that you command us to be holy and separate and to be your people. Lord, we're just praying for those today that, that's listening. God, maybe they're caught up into some of this stuff. Maybe they're caught up in a church, Lord, that's filled full of idolatry. They may not say they've got a golden calf, but Lord, it's what it's become, the church of the golden calf. Lord, I pray that you watch over this church, Lord, and keep us from straying, going into apostasy, Lord, doing things that we ought not to do. Lord, keep us on the straight and the narrow. May we always be pleasing to you, Lord, and the pillar and the ground of the truth. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right.